You know, last week uh, we began a series looking at the greatest commandment. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus tells us that these are the two greatest commandments, right? Matthew's Gospel uh, says that all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. We went through the, the 613 Pharisaical laws, that there are 248 positive commands, which are the things that you're supposed to do, and then there's 345 negative commands, things you're not supposed to do. But these two commandments that Jesus identify, love God, love others, kind of give us the lens of how we're supposed to interpret all of those other laws. So you get these two right, and everything else is going to fall into place. Uh, it's kind of like buttoning your shirt. You get the first button right, you're good to go, right? You get that first button wrong, though, it's 15 seconds, you're never going to get back, you know? So, as you can see, exactly the same commandments and buttoning a shirt. Um, to love God supremely is to know his commands, follow his teaching, search out his heart. And because Christ is in our hearts, we are now an extension of his love and his presence in the world. And so we have to be love to every person that we encounter, just like Jesus did. So today we're going to take a deeper dive into that phrase, love the Lord. Love the Lord. As followers of Christ, we want to love him with the same love that he has for us. So what does that love look like? Um, do any, any parents out there, do you uh, do the, um, the storybook, the Jesus storybook Bible with your kids? Got a, got a couple of people out there that do that. Uh, I, I love that, uh, that version. It's, it's very understandable, great illustrations. And uh, the way they word things in there. Is, uh, is really nice. And they talk about God's love this way. God loves you with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Isn't that good? It's a love that shows care, commitment, passion, selflessness. It requires unwavering devotion. Ann and I got married in uh, 2003. Uh, we were 21 and 22 at the time. Is that right? Nailed it. Uh, as you can see, I married up in every way, including age, you know. Uh, that was a compliment. That was a... I, I meant it as a compliment. Uh, now, I know her better now than I did then. Uh, for instance, I did not know when we got married that she talked in her sleep and walked in her sleep. Uh, that's led to some great experiences, like waking up in the middle of the night and having her standing on our bed looking for the children in the ceiling fan, because that's where we keep them, you know? Um, we go to bed at, at, usually at the same time, but she falls asleep a lot faster than I do, so I'll be, you know, reading or watching something on my iPad, but I know that when it comes time to put that away, the slightest movement is going to awake something. And it's not her, it's like the Hulk, you know, it's like, that, it's like that shadow side that you don't know, and so I, I do my best, I just really carefully try to set things down, but inevitably it happens, and she'll, she'll yell something at me. Early on in our marriage, I, I'd wake up the next morning, and I'd be, be kind of mad about it, you know, and she'd say, what's wrong? And I said, do you not remember what you said to me last night? She said, no, I really don't. I have no idea. And I'd tell her, she was like, I was asleep. I'm like, oh, that's convenient. You know? <laughs> yeah, you were asleep. I try not to mention anything sharp before we go to bed. You know, <laughs> knives, weapons. Don't want to plant any seeds there. 
See, when I agreed to marry her, I knew for the most part what I was getting into. I knew who she was. I, I knew her character. I knew that she made me better. She still does. Aww. There we go. Making, making up for that. Uh, so no matter what comes our way, because of the love I have for her, uh, we can do anything. I'm fully devoted and committed to our marriage. The same is true with Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we have to have an unwavering devotion that acknowledges, first and foremost, that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is Lord. Our scripture passage today is Matthew 16, 13 through 18. Jesus poses some powerful questions to his disciples, and they're questions that we need to be able to answer as well. And it says this, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So he asked two questions in here. Who do people say the Son of Man is? Who do you say I am? So let's pray, and then we're going to look at that. Father, we thank you for, uh, for this day. We thank you for your presence that's in this service. We thank you for your word that, um, that is alive. Uh, this isn't just reading a book. We read, we read the Bible and your scripture speaks to us. It challenges us. And so we pray today that these words that we're studying will have an impact on our lives. We want to know um, how you want to change us, how you can make our love for you deeper. So may that happen today. We give ourselves to you. In your name we pray. Amen. So Jesus asked, who do people say the Son of Man is? In our passage... The disciples respond by saying some people believe the Son of Man to be John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, Jeremiah, maybe one of the prophets. And, and hindsight is always twenty twenty, right? Looking back over our shoulder, we can always identify. It's easy for us to read after the fact and think, how do these people not get it? All of the people that Jesus is meeting, interacting with, healing, performing miracles for, how is this possible? How do they miss it? And yet... We live in a culture where the same things happen. People miss it. See, when you grow up in the church, you know who Jesus is. It's a pretty foregone conclusion that Jesus is exactly who we believe him to be. That he was a real person. That he walked this earth. He walked in real places. It's not fairy tale. It's not nursery rhymes. But it's so easy to forget that not everyone grew up in the church. Not everyone knows the story. Uh, in my first church in Highland, Indiana, one day there were some uh, skateboarders out playing in the parking lot. And so the pastor and I went out there, and we were talking with them, and uh, we said, you know, if you want to come in, if you want to use the bathroom at some point, if you want to grab a drink of water, uh, that's cool, you're welcome to come in. And a little bit later, they did. They, they came into the church, and, um, and one of the kids made his way into the sanctuary, and uh, he went right up to the communion table, and we had uh, a nativity scene set up on the communion, 
communion table. And so the pastor went in, and um, he was just kind of standing there, and, and the, the boy said, who's that? And he was pointing at baby Jesus. And, and so the pastor said, well, that's, that's baby Jesus. And the boy's response was, who is that? He had never heard. We buy into the deception that everyone knows the story of Jesus. They've either accepted it or rejected it. I mean, we acknowledge that there are people in other countries that don't know, and that's why we send missionaries, right? But not here in the U.S. There's a church on every corner. How is it possible that somebody wouldn't know? Well, it's true that there are opportunities all around us for people to know who Jesus is. If someone has never been invited, if someone has never been asked the question, if someone has never been told, how are they supposed to know? Romans 10 says it this way, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How many people do we rub shoulders with every day that have no idea who Jesus is? So in our context, who do people say the Son of Man is? Some have no idea. Others have an idea or uh, an interpretation or a perception of who Jesus is. We have historical accounts that Jesus lived and breathed, that he did walk on this earth. Around the year A.D. 94, a Jewish historian by the name of Josephus mentioned Jesus' name twice in his book, The Antiquities of the Jews. He wrote, And there arose about this time Jesus, a wise man, if indeed we should call him a man. For he was a doer of marvelous deeds." a teacher of men who received the truth with pleasure. Josephus also documented how a man named James, the brother of Jesus, who was called the Christ, and certain others were brought before the Sanhedrin. About 20 years later, Tacitus, a Roman historian, wrote a book surveying the history of Rome. In it, he described how Nero punished with every refinement the notoriously depraved Christians, as they were popularly called. He went on to write that their originator, Christ, had been executed in Tiberius' reign by the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate. Along with historical accounts, many different religions exist. In case you didn't know that, thought I'd let you know. You're welcome. So here's what some of them say. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, Jesus was not God, but God's first creation. Jesus is God's son and is inferior to God. They reject the idea of the Trinity and that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Scientology denies the deity of Christ. Instead of having a biblical view of who Christ is and what he did, they assign to him the characteristics of some sort of lesser God who has obtained legendary status over the years. In Baha'i, Jesus was a manifestation of God, just like Krishna or Buddha, Muhammad. Each manifestation was stronger than the prior one because they have more life experience and they were inferior to those that came after them. But these manifestations were not incarnations. God could not be incarnated, so Jesus is one of many who is simply a reflection of God. In Buddhism, he was a wise and enlightened man, but was not divine, has no place in Buddhist teachings. Islam, Jesus is a prophet sent by God. They do believe in a virgin, miraculous birth. However, he was not the son of God. They do not believe he was killed on the cross and resurrected. Who do people say the Son of Man is? Lots of voices. Kind of sounds like lots of options, doesn't it? We like options nowadays. 
and in a, in a culture where there's no absolute truth, we're faced with the challenge of staying committed and wholly devoted among all the noise. One thing that can help us maintain true north is by investing ourselves in the reading of God's word. There's no better place to search out the question of who is Jesus than by looking at his own words, his life, his testimony that are found in scripture. It's important that we know our Bible, that we know what Jesus said about himself. Have you ever been in a a Bible study, maybe a conversation, maybe you've even heard it in a sermon? Uh, A biblical phrase gets tossed out. But it's not in the Bible anywhere. You know, things like uh, cleanliness is next to godliness, right? God helps those that help themselves. God will never give you more than you can handle, and this too shall pass. Sound good, sounds scriptural, not in the Bible. We need to know what Jesus said about himself because putting words in God's mouth is a pretty dangerous practice. We mislead ourselves and others when we do this. So if Jesus didn't claim to be God, Christians shouldn't say that he is. If Jesus didn't say he could forgive sins, we shouldn't ask him for forgiveness. If Jesus didn't say that he could answer prayers, why would we pray to him? So what does Jesus say about himself? Jesus said that he came down from heaven. In John 6, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus lived before he came into human history on earth. He is eternally God. Home for him was heaven, is heaven, and coming to earth was a downward journey for him. Muhammad supposedly took a trip to heaven. Joseph Smith had a vision. Um, A lot of people uh, testified to an experience, like an out-of-body experience on their deathbed where they see the gates of heaven. But no one but Jesus began in heaven came to earth, and then returned to heaven. Jesus said he was sinless. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? It's a pretty big statement to claim to be without sin. I'm sure many saw it as a pretty arrogant claim to be without sin. Sin includes thoughts, words, deeds, motives. You have sins of omission, not doing the things that we're supposed to do, And then you have sins of commission, doing what we're not supposed to do. Jesus is free of all this. Pure thoughts, motives, actions. Pretty amazing. Unparalleled statement. Jesus said that he and the Father are one. A claim that he is God. He showed this authority in several ways. He healed the sick. The man that asked Jesus to heal his son, Jesus spoke the word and the boy was healed at the same time that Jesus had said it. He forgave sins. The woman who who poured perfume on his feet and washed his feet with her tears and her hair. In Luke 7, he said to her, your sins are forgiven. He performed miracles. The feeding of the 5,000. Turning the water into wine at the wedding in Cana. Sometimes he did both. Jesus forgave the sins of the paralyzed man and then to prove that he had the authority to do it, he commanded the man to get up and walk. Jesus said he would rise from the dead. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will uh, will rise. Twice Jesus states that he would be handed over, judged, killed, and then would rise from the dead. Jesus said he is the only way to the Father. 
I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one sees God but through me. No one experiences a restored relationship with God but through me. So who do you say I am? Peter offers a bold response. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. We talked last week about the teacher who asked, what is the greatest commandment? That's where Jesus said, love God, love others. And the teacher responds to him and says, "Uh, you're right. That is the greatest thing. Of all the commandments, those are the two that are the most important. And Jesus' response to him was, you are not far from the kingdom of heaven. Peter's able to do something that that teacher couldn't do. He's able to recognize that this man that he follows is the true and the living God. I was watching a documentary this week on uh, John Wesley, because I'm cool. If you ever uh, hear someone talk about Wesleyan roots, Wesleyan theology, this is the guy we're talking about. Many of his teachings, his his, uh, practices and methods are things we still use in the church today. In the early to mid-1700s, Wesley was traveling from England to the U.S. And uh, as they were traveling, they came up on a really bad storm. Everybody was terrified on the ship. And so he went uh, below deck. And when he went below deck, he found this group of Moravian Christians. They were having a Bible study. They were singing hymns and, and songs. They were at complete peace in the middle of this storm, not fearing death whatsoever. It struck him. He noticed that they had something that he didn't. Even in his meticulous observance and obedience to the word of God, something was missing in his life. They had an assurance that he didn't. Once he got to the United States, he met with a Moravian teacher, Augustus Spangenberg. And in one of the scenes of the documentary, Wesley was asked, Do you know that Jesus Christ is your Savior? He responded, Yes, I know that Jesus is the Savior of the world. No, do you know that you are saved? Well, I hope that he has died for me. Do you know yourself that you are saved? And he kind of stumbled around before saying, Yes, I know. But he would write later in his diary that he didn't know. He didn't have that assurance. Through all of Wesley's training, education, and ministry, he struggled to take the knowledge and experiences that he had and translate them to his own personal salvation. On May 24, 1738, that changed for him. John went to a Moravian meeting on Aldersgate Street and claimed for himself the assurance of salvation that he had sought. He would write later that he felt his heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ. Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. From there, Wesley's life and ministry changed forever. Making it personal can be a tough journey for us. It's not just about an understanding of Scripture. It's not just about 
obeying all the commands. It's not about being worthy. None of us is worthy. It's about accepting the gift that God has given us in Jesus Christ. Have you accepted it? Have you acknowledged Jesus as Messiah, Son of God, Savior? We each have to answer the question, who do you say Jesus is? Jesus' response to Peter is, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. What we realize here is when we demonstrate unwavering devotion to God, he gives unwavering devotion to us. The future of the church is securely in God's hands. The gates of hell will not overcome it. Our future, when we are fully trusting him, is securely in God's hands. Do you trust him? So as we close today, I want you to think about this. Uh, Jesus is a, he's a lot of things. He proved that in scripture. Healer, sustainer, provider, financial planner, food multiplication specialist. He won best bartender in Cana. (laughs) Above all these other roles, first and foremost, he is savior, redeemer, giver of grace, restorer. Who do you say Jesus is? Is he above everything else? Your savior. Or is he more of a a genie in a bottle kind of concept? You go to him when you need something. You go to him when things aren't going well. My guess is if that's how you treat him, it's probably not working the way you thought it was going to work. Because when we place unwavering commitment and devotion to him, he responds with unwavering commitment and devotion to us. To love the Lord with unwavering devotion is to recognize who he is, what he has done, and in gratitude we give ourselves to him and follow him. So I want to give you an opportunity to respond to this. Maybe you're... um, Maybe you're swayed by the world. Maybe you're swayed by what other people say about Jesus. You just kind of take what other people are trying to fill you with. But you've never taken the the time to answer the question for yourself, who do I say Jesus is? Have I acknowledged him as my personal savior? I, uh, that, that question just stayed in my mind all week as I was preparing this sermon. Who do you say Jesus is? I had to walk away from this several times. I had a friend, I was talking to a friend about this, and, and he asked me, well, have you answered the question? Kind of felt like I was Wesley there for a minute. Got somebody saying, who is he to you? He's my savior. He's my redeemer. I'm nothing without him. That's a humble place to be. 
a broken place to be, to recognize that I can't go on if I don't acknowledge what Jesus wants to do in my heart and life. Have you ever had that conversation with Jesus? Who do you say I am? Do you love him today? How is that love lived out? Is there fruit behind that? How do you show your commitment? How do you show your devotion? Do you share it with other people? Or do you just assume that everybody already knows? Or that everybody else is entitled to their own opinion? So I don't want to step on any toes. I don't want to offend somebody. So uh, I want to invite you to stand. The band's going to sing a, a closing song. You're welcome to sing along. Um, maybe you need to come and pray about that today. The altar is a great place to do that. To be able to come and confess that, Father, I need you. I need you more than anything that this world has to offer me. I give you my heart. I give you my life. Whatever you want to do. Who do you say that I am?